Hello and welcome to Lovecraft Country Critical. Yes, that lovely, soothing voice you hear is not that of Emma. Sadly, she has Boo. to miss this episode. Boo, yes, yes. Uh, she does send her apologies to everyone. But don't worry, because I will do my best to lead you through this episode with the help of my trusty friend and companion, Gaz. And that's, that's all we can do, really, isn't it? That's all anyone that is can That is all ask. we can do. Just do, mm. do our best. And we always do, do our that. best. We always try that. We'll all be here for the finale. So let's just say that right now. You heard it here first. Me, Lucy, uh, well, Gaz and Emma. I haven't agreed to that. Well, you are now live on air. Um, John's coming back, So. Yeah, when I say all, I mean, obviously, John, unfortunately, RIP to John. He will not be back. Um, if he is dead. back... He's not dead. He's not dead. He's definitely not dead. But that would be a turn up for the books if he suddenly came back. I mean, so don't hold your breath. I can't I see think, that happening. I think, to be fair, he would have to watch like seven episodes of Lovecraft yes. before he could come back. Yeah. And I can see, I can just hear John's very sort of like, oh, for fuck's sake, sort of voice going on when he's having to think about that. So don't hold your breath. Uh, when I say all of us, that's me, Emma, Lucy and Gareth. And hopefully we're all here for the finale next week. So what happens here is we generally review the episode. We're going to give our overall thoughts on the episode. Going to give it a blueberry score, which is our patented rating system. And then we're going to go through the plot Uh head over to Cthulhu Corner for any sort of film and horror references that we notice, maybe anything related to Lovecraft, a couple of book differences, and then we'll move on to listener feedback. But first of all, Gareth, what were your thoughts on the penultimate episode of Lovecraft Country? Uh, rewind 1921. I'll tell you in the form of a, uh, a rating system that you have, oh, yeah? have, have mentioned, the blueberry rating system, zero to five blueberries, Zero rubbish, five excellent. There can be no halves. Um, Harsh but fair. Firm but fair. I think like a like a good blueberry. Yes. I, f- I felt like this was a very emotional episode. Ooh. Uh, and... I tell you what, Gareth, I'll, I'll stop you right there. One of my first notes. Emotional. Continue. There you go. Oh, well, there you go. That's good. That. Um, synergy. Synergy. Um, but I don't know. I don't know which direction you go after this. Mm. Overall, I've kind of got mixed feelings about the episode. There's, there's, um, there's some unanswered questions that bug me with it. Um, you know, like carry over from last week. Like, mm-hmm. aren't Letty and Tick in any trouble for what happened? Like, I know that mm. the, the monster's not necessarily their fault, but um, you know, white racist policemen in the fifties aren't going to just go. Oh, it probably wasn't their fault. They're going to be looking mm. for someone to blame for what happened. So I'm wondering what's going on there. Um, Hippolyta, where's she been? Just suddenly decides to come back at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I really liked the representation of the Tulsa race massacre. Um, mm. And I think it was done in a, you know, obviously we've spoken about the Watchmen's portrayal of that event um, we've waxed lyrical, yep. but uh, this was done in a very different way. I thought this was a lot more sort of personal um, in the way that it dealt with it, whereas um, Watchmen was more explosive and kind of on a macro level. Um, and, and I mean, that was incredible. And this is done in a different way, and I really liked it. Um, and I liked the continuation of the Tick Montrose relationship throughout. Um, I still am like, dude, can you just tell us why you did? Yahima, like what's going on here? Um 
So overall, uh, I am giving this three blueberries. With wow, a, that's lower than I expected. Wow, that is that's yeah. It's, I'll be honest. I did. I, I was. I, we shouldn't really say this in the blueberry system, but I was close to giving it four. Um, but I just felt that there was too much that left me. Uh, it's maybe more of a, a legacy of the whole the series as a whole. Just sort of going, well, I wish you could tell me what's going on here. Um, and it didn't. Oh, well, that's interesting. Three. I thought you would. Uh, I've never heard a sort of description where I've been more certain that oh, this is just four. This is just going to get a four. <laughs> and then you went three. Interesting. Very interesting. That's what I do. Mix it up. Mix it up. Annoy the listeners. No, I'm sure the listeners agree with you. In fact, maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they'll agree with me. So the tagline of the book, right, is the real monsters of America. And we've talked about this before. And it's obviously highlighting, you know, racism in the 50s, right? And in previous episodes, we've been given sort of short horror stories that have shone a light on on issues for black Americans growing up in the 50s. Um, But this horror story in this episode isn't fantastical, really. It is real, like it's an event, a true American horror story, right? So I thought that was very interesting. Um, And as we know, and you've mentioned, Watchmen, and I know this is true for a lot of people and it's true for us, um, and a lot of our American listeners at the time included, who wrote in to us to tell us, the Watchman showed us this event or tried to shine a light on this event that, to be fair, it was kind of not, I'm not going to say covered up in American history, but wasn't really taught to people, you know, and, and, and we found that fascinating when we we're watching Watchmen. And I feel like this show and they've, they've alluded to it all season. They're like, and I've said, and we've said, they need to show us uh, their take on the Tulsa massacre because they've mentioned it so many times it's such an integral part of history for Montrose and George and Atticus has grown up hearing stories about it like it it would feel like a misstep creatively for them not to go to this event now I didn't expect them to go hey we're literally going to travel back to this event um, through time travel essentially so that's fascinating to me I think that's interesting because whereas Watchmen showed us it from a perspective of hey this event happened and you know it affected some of our characters this one's taken our characters and thrust them into that event and with the whole thing happening around them and i thought that was fascinating so they've really taken the sort of baton from watchmen another great hbo show and sort of run with it and tried to like you said it's a more personal story because we care more about the characters that are being shown here like montrose in this episode oh my god Michael K. Williams, that man, he is fantastic. Like, I think now, in my opinion, he's the best actor on the show. Like, he's stolen the limelight for me in a couple of episodes. And and this, I was like, Jesus. I was very emotional watching this episode. I, I, I'd say it's the most emotional I've been watching the show. So for me, I'm giving it a five blueberry, Gareth. Oh, wow. Because it made me feel things that I haven't felt this season. And I, I was sort of like really watery eyed for like the last 20 minutes and I don't know like it just got me and obviously it's very harrowing very tragic we'll get into the episode more as we talk about it but I just it blew me away their representation of Tulsa and the stories they were telling within uh, this setting and this horrific event so a great a great run of episodes at the moment like you know I think it's been really good I think um, I, I understand that as a 
as a mark for this episode. I think that the mm. the 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 representation of the Tulsa massacre, if if I if you were to score that on its own, I would I'd be giving that a five. The way that they did it, mm. and I suppose there's nothing necessarily that happened in this episode that took away from it for me. It's more the absence of things that I was hoping for that. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. Everyone's entitled to their score, Gareth. Everyone's entitled to their score. And we've given, you know, between us an average of four there. So good score. very high praise. Very, very good score. So hope everyone's happy. Um, of course, you can always write into us and let us know what you think of the episode. You can do that uh, by writing into fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. The email is also in the show notes. And as you hear every week, we get lots of feedback. So please do write in if you have any thoughts about the episode. Now, before we jump into our thoughts on the plot, it's time for a quick advert. Yes, advert time here at Lovecraft Country Critical. And if you guys aren't aware, next week is the season finale of Lovecraft Country. That's right. There's only one more episode after this. And you're thinking, how am I going to hear Len's lovely voice, Emma's lovely voice, Lucy's lovely voice, Gaz's lovely voice, and even John's moaning voice? You know, how are you going to hear those voices anymore? Very simple. All you have to do is search Fan Critical on any podcast app. And what you'll find is we've got over 220 podcasts on there talking about all kinds of other shows, other films, um, random little podcasts that we've done. Uh, and we've got loads coming up on that channel. That is where everything gets released. So if you want to hear us talk about, you know, future shows that we're going to cover, future seasons of shows, then please do search Fan Critical and subscribe on there. Uh, not only that, you know, subscribe on this channel as well, Lovecraft Country. We'll massively appreciate that. Uh, reviews, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be massively appreciated. Uh, appreciated. We've had hundreds and hundreds of reviews, and that is amazing. We value and appreciate all of the feedback for this show and the Fan Critical channel. So thank you very much for that. And if you want to go one step further and sponsor us, you can do so at www.patreon.com forward slash fan critical on there you have the option to uh, donate some money to us monthly which helps us produce new content for you guys helps towards hosting costs equipment etc there's different tiers where you can donate a certain amount of money and one of those tiers lets you commission a podcast that is a, a huge thing that we've been doing a lot of recently we've got some commissions coming out very soon from some of our patreons and to say uh, of course you do get a shout out and we do have a new patron gareth oh a new patreon this week who? There you go. Uh, Kim Ayana is a new Patreon, and we want to say thank you very much for your support, Kim. I know you're a fan of the Lovecraft Country Critical Podcasts, um, and your support means the world to us. Literally, now you can get access to all of our cast episodes, which are where we've recast famous films and shows with other actors, usually hilarious results. There are more of those coming in the coming weeks after we get through the Oh, the slog that has been Lovecraft Country, because it has been a, a very demanding show to cover, uh, especially in terms of research. There will be more cast episodes on the way. Uh, so thank you very much, Kim. Thank you for your support and your donation. And I hope you enjoy the bonus content. And feel free to shoot us more messages now, because you can do that on Patreon. Just send us messages, chat to us directly. And more money. So once again, yes. and more monies. Uh, yeah, if you want to uh, be like Kim and become a Patreon and support the fan critical team, that's patreon.com 
forward slash fan critical. The link is also in the show notes. Right, enough of that advert malarkey. Time to jump into the plot of episode nine of Lovecraft Country. The episode opens with the adults in little quotation marks arguing over whose fault it was that caused this to happen to Dee. Ruby then says it's all of their faults and they decide they have to call Christina to help Dee. Interesting. So we talked we talked about this last week, didn't we? How they were all focused on their own situation and sort of neglecting Dee. Um, nice of them to finally realise that. Yeah, a little bit late. Um, now she's got a little bit late. Little arm, Bopsy and Topsy, or whatever they're called, well, infecting her. You know, remember what I said about the arm thing? Yeah, could could be on. Oh yeah. So Gareth's theory for anyone who didn't hear it last week was that um, someone with a robot arm in the future gave Tick the book Lovecraft Country, written by his son George For uh, George Foreman, George Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> and George here, take Freeman. one of these grills. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and Gaz's theory was that that is in fact D uh, in the future because she will lose her arm uh, because of this event. Interesting theory that I shot down mm-hmm. and, you know, it could be right, Gareth. It could be right. Who knows? It's definitely got more credence after this episode. Uh, so basically, Christina turns up and she says, look, I'm, will- I'm willing to help you, right? But what you need to do, Atticus, is you need to come back with me willingly for the autumnal equinox. Will you shut up about that autumnal equinox? Bloody they love hell. that word, don't they? They love getting that in there. I mean, yeah. you know how I said orrery is a lovely word? You know, autumnal equinox has also got quite a ring to it. It's quite autumnal nice. Autumnal equinox. Sounds a bit like an emo band, though. Yeah, it does. It does, actually. Um, so Tick accepts this exchange it, you know christina says unfortunately though that all she can do at this moment in time is cast a restoration spell <laughs> um and when she said that gareth i was like yeah. well it sounded a bit like one of our dungeons and dragons sessions at this point that's exactly what i thought you know we've got cursed char- cursed characters cast a restoration spell yeah. but that will actually you know don't want to get into D stuff but that could actually hurt them gareth you know well so that's interesting if she's being made undead you mean or yeah. is decaying in yeah. some sort of fashion yeah yeah so anyway enough of that listeners don't want to hear about our dungeons and dragons uh sessions oh let us know if you do and uh you know set up another podcast if you do let us know i i doubt that lose thousands of listeners just with that one comment anyway they need the book of names to essentially cure d and we'll get on to that in a minute um because there's an interesting plot that happens of how they're going to get the book of names we then cut to captain lancaster who I've written here somehow is still alive. I was like, I he mean, got absolutely mauled last week. What is what is that about? What's I thought going he was so dead. Him? He's got exploding nipples. Like, how is that a side effect? Oh, anyway, so I've written here, and this is my interpretation, and feel free to let me know if I'm wrong, but it seems that they are using the horrible experimentation done by the crazy Hiram scientist to transplant body parts of um, basically black people that they've murdered or experimented on. And... I thought that was interesting, like this idea that, oh, because at this point I was like, oh, he might live then because they're, you know, trying to transplant him or something. Um, but then Will Tina shows up and mm. has an interesting conversation. Like, oh, we thought you were dead. And no, I'm definitely not dead. I'm back and I've screwed you over. 
and I wanted to watch you die a thousand times, but instead I'll have to settle for once. And then Captain Lancaster is gone. Thoughts, Gareth? Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I've got to be honest. I didn't really get the point of this scene other than for it to be a bit gruesome. Um, I guess it's a, a revenge scene for... It's more for Christina's character, that sort of idea that she loved William, I guess, or she cared for William, and it's her turning into him to sort of, I don't know, exact, enact revenge, you know, on, yeah. uh, on this horrible person. I guess that was just a bit of character development for her slash him at this stage. Okay. That was the way I read it. That was the way I read it. I mean, whether or not you need it or not... Um, because I thought he was totally dead last week. Yeah, I mean, I, he he definitely looked it. He had his arm ripped off, and then he was thrown over a, a into house. a house. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's thrown a man into a house. What have you ever done? Um, what have you ever done? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, look, he's a he's he's the most uh, hate worthy character in the show. So nice to see him suffering a bit. Um, yeah, he's a terrible character. Like. I, I as I've said before, I think I think the show has you know streamlined some of these characters into very basic forms, and and Captain Lancaster being one of them. Look, I'm not saying that he's a sympathetic or multi layered character in the book, but there's a bit more to him than this sort of evil maniacal police captain mm. that wields magic. Uh, there's a bit more to him than that. And you talking about D and D again? Yeah, exactly. It's a shame that they've sort of just made it quite one track with his character but it is what it is mm. so he's gone which is interesting but but good because he's horrible so goodbye you horrible racist wizard cop yeah that's how we will describe him from now on i've written here montrose is enjoying a lovely cocktail um which you know it's locked down in lots of places around the world i'm sure we've all been scrounging our liquor cabinets yes yes you know i when i moved house i you know made an bit of a mission to get rid of the dregs of a lot of my liquor cabinet would you combine um, would you put together just some tequila had some spiced rum had some white rum i mean i didn't put these all in the same drink because right, i'm really horrendous okay. it looks that this to me looks like sort of what montrose is having a little go at uh, and in his sort of inebriated state he uh he tells atticus that that george might be his father well he has to tell him doesn't he because um they're, they're like, all right, come on, get your blood ready because you've got to yeah. help D. And he's like, mm, I'm not sure I'm the closest relative. Um, you might be yeah. a wee bit closer. Yeah, and that's a, that's, that's a good plot plot device to, to do it. I mean, it, it needed to be done. Annoyingly, though, Hippolyta turns up immediately after he tells after he tells him. He yeah, must just gutted. be thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, why? just... 20 seconds an extra 20 yeah. seconds and I would have well, been fine well I've written here in my notes and, uh, and this is one of the weak points of the episode for me is that she just literally strolls in out of nowhere and she's just like alright how's it going yeah See, oh, what's, what's wrong with D for me for <laughs> me that's that's a major issue like that annoys me and it's probably cost it a blueberry I, I think given the context of what we hear her say in a few scenes time I think it's a very underwhelming entrance for several reasons, but I'll, I'll get on to that. Um, so obviously they need the blood of the next relative to help do the restoration spell on D, which will only temporarily reset the curse. It buys her roughly a day, two days, something along those lines. They use Hippolyta's blood to restore the curse. Uh, Ruby then leaves with Christina, telling Letty 
that Will Tina is just trying to help. And then I've put in brackets. Sure. Good one. Um, because it feels to me here, I mean, we're going to talk about Ruby and Will Tina in a minute, but, you know, Ruby's uh, very much uh, got some rose-tinted glasses on when it comes to this situation, I think. Um, if she thinks this is going to end happily for her and everyone involved, I definitely don't see it being that way. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about her in a minute, Gareth, because I think we can we can really deep dive into that relationship a bit more with the next scene in a, in a minute. All right. Uh, but first, first of all, let's talk about Hippolyta because she's heard now that they need this book of names. The last time they have a reference to the book of names is, you know, 1921 uh, mm. in Tulsa, where they believe that the book burnt with the house. Um, so she's like, right. Well, that's gone then. That's definitely gone. You're not That's definitely it gone. T- turns out not because they can use the multiverse machine to travel back to 1921. Ah, oh, no, but that's that's broken. That's definitely broken. We're not. We're not. She can back, fix it. So. She can fix. She can fix it. She can fix it. So what I'll say is, <laughs> she says some interesting things here, which I thought were, you know, she says them quite quickly, uh, quite hurriedly. Um, so some people might have missed it, and I thought I'd just bring it up. She explains that she was on Earth 504 for mm. 200 years. Mm. 200 years, Gareth. Yeah. Now we knew a lot of time had elapsed during. Uh, I am the seventh installment of Lovecraft Country. But 200 years to me is a very long time, which is why I found her entrance to be so underwhelming because say she has been away for 200 years. She's obviously returned for D because she loves her daughter. Uh, Not seeing your daughter for 200 years. Now, I don't know, but, you know, the mother-daughter, mother-child relationship, I felt would warrant a bit more of a, I don't know, dramatic, emotional reuniting of these characters. I understand that D at the moment is essentially, um, I don't know, possessed or something. Um, so I don't know. That's why it felt a bit underwhelming to me. It just felt like she was a bit blasé about it all, especially when she's been away for 200 yeah. years. Well, maybe it's like that sort of Dr. Manhattan type thing where she's now, she's she's so wise and... Um, and, and full of knowledge and yes that that time time is a is just a construct it's uh it becomes a flow and yes okay maybe very very true we haven't considered that she might be like dr manhattan in a way and i guess if you have lived for 200 years and experienced so many different things throughout history and time that that is a possibility so anyone who watches watchmen or knows of watchmen law she might have a bit of uh, Dr. Man sort of psyche going on. Yeah, a bit of the DMs. Uh, I also wrote here in my notes, Gav, it feels very Earth C-137 from Rick and Morty. Like, mm. oh, I was on Earth 504. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyone who watches Rick and Morty knows that uh, multi-dimensional travel or interdimensional travel is uh, essentially the premise of the show. Key concept. Um, and if you, if you haven't watched Rick and Morty, um, just stop what you're doing right now and go watch it because it is... Uh, one of the best written, one of the funniest cartoons out there, um, easily. So go watch Rick and Morty. It's, it's just the best thing ever. Agreed. Let's deep dive into Ruby and Will Tina. They have an interesting and frank discussion. Christina says uh, that she still has feelings for Ruby and that this isn't a long con. Then Ruby essentially agrees to the execution of Atticus if 
she spares her sister. Hmm. This was uh, concerning for me, Gareth. Concerning. I was concerned here. Rubes, Rubes ain't vibing tick, is she? She's not. No, into but she... to sign. Okay, to sign off a man's death, I think, is a step too far. I mean, yeah, you could say like, oh, I don't, I don't think he's a good, uh, you know, role model for this baby that's going to be born which is completely unwarranted and un- unfair yeah um because she knows very little about him um so i've written here and this is just me speculating is ruby now playing the long con go on in a way like oh yeah I'll, I'll agree with everything you're saying and then when it comes to the moment i will try and do everything i can to save him because it feels to me to oh remove this child that is going to be born of its of of its father, his father is just a horrible thing so to you agree think to. She's coming, Will Tina, but yeah, I'm thing, I'm saying that yeah, go on. The the I appreciate you showing you're working there, but the thing that um, contradicts that is that she was it seemed sincerely trying to persuade yeah. Ruby, um, trying to persuade Letty to come with her, um with christina <clears throat> i don't that i mean you know i i think i think you've got a good theory there that may well come to fruition but i don't think that right now ruby's thinking that personally i don't think she's yep well if, if she isn't thinking that then i have to say that uh the the fact that she's signed off on the death warrant of Atticus essentially I find that very disturbing for her character I can't believe how in deep she is with uh, Christina at this point um, I mean she bloody sexually assaulted a man with a shoe there's she's she's got she's got uh, she's on the slippery slope let's say mm. well I hope there's a way that she's going to redeem herself so I'm you know fingers crossed for the old long con situation that she's you know trying to fool will tina the only way that she can with some sort of emotion if there is this real emotional connection that she believes that will tina has for her then maybe she can use that to her advantage to save atticus in the finale but let's see okay so our host of characters arrive at the observatory and begin fixing the machine um using hippolyta as a motherboard as she now has crazy future tech in her, um, they triangulate boop, 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 to Tulsa 1921. Um, Quick, hours, press the Tulsa 1921 button. Yeah, hours before the massacre began. All right, well, I've written here in my notes, uh, we, we said that we wanted to see the massacre. I know that sounds bad, uh, but we wanted to see the show's interpreta- interpretation of the event. Bloody hell. Well, they've mentioned it so many times. Yeah. We've, literally every episode we're like they have to show this event because the characters have talked about it so much that without the context mm. it kind of loses whatever they're saying doesn't make any sense right so here we are we're definitely getting that and we're getting it in a whole episode exploring this time um so buckle up everybody whose idea was it to take montrose along on the trip like he's evidently sort of emotionally scarred by this event it's like hey do you want to come and relive the the most horrific moment of your life yeah i will get to that in a minute because i felt there was a moment coming up that i was like jesus man let's give this guy a second you know (laughs) um 
We'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, I was also just a, a quick side note. I, I'm not criticizing this at all. Cause obviously, I'm just thinking from the character's perspective. Did they have to go to this event? Could they have not gone earlier than this event? Like, did they have to go to the event? Like, think about it. Like, they lived in those houses for years. They could have gone, like, a couple of years before this. The book still would have been there. That is such a good point. <laughs> Got photos of them before the massacre. Like, they don't have to go to the... So, from a sort of character standpoint, I was kind of like... I understand from a show's point, they had to go there because yeah. we need to yeah. be educated. We need to learn. We need to see this event. Um, but from a character's perspective, it's madness to me. It's madness. Um, but anyway, if you just forget about that for a second, that is such a good point. Like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> surely one of them would be like, I, you know, we could we could probably just go to the Saturday before. Like I remember, yeah. I went to the cinema and nothing happened. Like that yeah. was probably a good day. Yeah. We couldn't get it then. Yeah. So that was it. That was interesting to me because obviously the, it's not like Back to the Future Part Two where they had to follow a specific set of events. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, um, listeners just, and everyone listening, just ignore that fact and just, mm. yeah, no, well, it's fine. I mean, uh, just to sort of um, clarify uh, or expand upon one of the points that you made, like, yeah, from a from a show perspective, they do have to go there. And uh, <clears throat> you're right to say about the edge, like, we need to be educated about this. I, I remember when we when we did cover Watchmen, the, the number of listeners that, that wrote into us and said, Mm. this isn't taught or it wasn't taught when they were at school in america this event isn't taught in america like that is insane that's that's it was um, covered up for a while essentially is is what is yeah is what i sort of gathered from from what people were telling us i mean put it into the curriculum if it if it isn't if it isn't already put it into the curriculum surely well we've heard a couple of emails this uh feedback from listeners already this season of love car country which says that the curriculum in the states is very much controlled by a certain amount of states and Mm. there's different learning in different states and it's 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 very difficult and um i mean difficult for us to understand i mean how that is a is a way that it's done but it is the way that it's done um so Mm. once again if you have any more information on on their education or why this wasn't taught in schools please do write in you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read read out your feedback and and try and take it all in so uh tick letty and montrose dress appropriately for the time and (laughs) head to tick tick's mother's family house to find the book of names on the way montrose starts to panic as he knows what is about to happen this is literally what happens the next bit. And I know it's because he's a bit drunk because he's been drinking that cocktail I was talking about because he knows he doesn't want to do this because he doesn't want to go and relive arguably the most harrowing day of his life. Um, Tick says he's pathetic uh, and says that after this, they're done. It's a bit much, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit much. Uh, look, I understand the whole revelation about George potentially being your father, which we still don't know 100%, by the way. Um He's clearly got like post-traumatic stress from this event, um, and it's affected his whole life. It's affected his whole life. You say you say it's arguably the most harrowing day of his life. I mean, no, it is the most harrowing. Day. <laughs> if he's got one that's worse than this, then he saw his like his sort of his first kind of boyfriend shot in the head in front of him. It's probably his worst day. Yes. So I feel very look. And we've talked about this before with Montrose, complicated character. 
Um, can't excuse his actions from episode four, but at the same time, Michael K. Williams is doing such a fantastic job in this episode, making us, you know, you can see the history of violence that we've been talking about throughout this season. Um, literally in this episode, it's perfectly explained to you why there is this perpetual history of violence. Anyway, um, so I've also written here, it's a shame that nice moments between them in the last episode are, are quickly forgotten because they had some nice reconciliation last week that um, was lovely to see. Um, and he essentially saved his son with that spell. So it's interesting stuff. Also, just another thing to add is like, we, we do know that whether or not um, Tick is, is actually his son, we know that Montrose cares for him like yeah. a son. Like, you know, yeah. he's, he's... So it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter in a way. Um, he's yeah, he's I, extremely I pissed off that. at Letty for potentially um, causing... Endangering his, his son's uh, life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, it, he's he's devastated by that. So, um, you know, he, he is he is his, his dad in that sense. Like, Yep, 100%. So I've written here, this is when the episode gets excellent. Uh, we see, I mean, excellent in an emotional sense because, you know, it, it gets pretty heavy from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Montrose's father, Verton, who essentially beats him publicly in the street with a sort of whipping branch uh, for putting on George's corsage, mm-hmm. uh, putting it in his hair, to be precise. Yeah. Um, and I've put, it's, you know, it's a powerful scene because Tick's watching on. They're all watching on and Montrose is sitting there trying to defend his father for beating him. I deserved it. You know, I, des- I deserve this treatment. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, this is, I just mentioned it before. He's, his father's drunk, he's abusive. And it's that perpetual history of violence that we've spoken about. Literally happening in front of our character's eyes. They're, they're seeing, oh, this, like Tick's realisation must be, I've just, you know, had a go at my dad. Um, but seeing this scene is the most essentially the perfect way for him to see why his father is the way he is, you know, bit of a, an, an education for him. Mm. I, I thought this was strong stuff. Like I was, you know, this is the start of where the episode really gets into those, I don't know, deep and very emotive, um, places that it takes you. It took me to some, took me some very emotional places watching this so i i, I agree that uh uh it, it worked well on a character level i thought the the actual sort of fundamentals of it like the logistics of it are a bit daft like just having the three of them sort of standing and yeah I, I did think commenting along and like uh this is <laughs> you know this is what he means by this is it, it's like come on <clears throat> this is silly. it's very it's very back to the future though very back to the future but back to the future is is going for a slightly different vibe to this right i understand yeah it's that idea that learning from history sometimes you have to have characters there literally watching the history unfold before their eyes i i you know if someone comes up with a better mechanic for it then you know that's a good thing but unfortunately that's the mechanic they have i guess so montrose slink that sort of disappears uh, and they fear that he is going to try and warn George that he'll be shot in Arden, which obviously causes a time paradox. Now, this is the issue when you start dealing with time travel is you're going to have so many instances. Um, you're going to have you a complete, bad time. You're going to have a bad time. Time travel is no uh, laughing matter, Gareth. 
So, <laughs> well, and I've said before, I wasn't a fan of time travel being in this show. And then we were sort of relieved when we found out, look, it's multiverse travel. I was like, yeah, I, I completely, that's fine. That, that, that doesn't cause any paradoxes. But now they've literally done time travel within their Earth. Let's say their Earth is 101 or something or 001. Uh, they've gone back in time on that Earth. So there could be a time paradox caused here, which we'll get onto later. So they decide to split up and Letitia is, is tasked with getting the book from the family home, which we know is going to be set alight sometime in the next few hours, where Atticus is off to get Montrose. The misconception... Um, of what what Montrose is about to do is is interesting, um, and I thought uh, I I thought that he kept because he kept we kept seeing that sort of flashback. I thought that he was yeah. seeing. Um, I, I totally misunderstood this, and I thought George must have got shot um, at this point, and I thought that's what they were talking about. Don't tell him that he gets shot. Um, you'll yeah. you'll mess things up. But obviously they were talking about at Arden. Um, that's what they thought they were going to do. But uh, instead, um, what happens is like it's such a heartbreaking scene um, between young Montrose and and and, and his mate um, Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, we're heading into that stuff right now. And uh, Montrose, it turns out, wasn't trying to warn George like you've just said. Is in fact trying to save what we believe to be his first partner, a boy named Thomas, uh, who gets shot after Montrose lies and says uh, essentially that he's not gay and he can't hang out with him anymore because, you know, his dad's like trying to beat it out of him, essentially. Um, and we see that this has clearly haunted Montrose for years. Um, and, and the interesting thing is Montrose is trying to save Thomas and we're going to this time paradox now. And Tick is literally there saying, look, you can't do this because if you go and stop Thomas from getting shot, I won't exist. And then my son won't exist, you know. And I thought the acting here between Michael K. Williams um, and Atticus, I have to say that uh, between Montrose and Atticus, that I thought the the energy and the emotion was so raw and it was so... They've just had that scene where literally Tix disowned him. And then this is the complete redemption of their relationship with with what Montrose says. He's like, essentially, he says, you know, I've made every sacrifice in my life I've made is to be your father. Um, so if I do this, I know that no matter what happens, I will still be your father. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, conversation. What did you think about the scene here, Gareth, between the two characters? Yeah, I think that last that last bit that you mentioned is the uh, that's the the powerful line it's a powerful moment um again though a little bit of confusion for me because i thought that was i thought that was incredibly powerful and persuasive from montrose and i thought that he had convinced yeah tick yeah i thought the same it. i thought the same yeah uh, right and and then instead nothing happens and uh, and they don't do anything um until obviously a little bit later but so i'm i'm just wondering what sort of happened in the interim there whether uh, i think whether, what tick know. says I, I yeah i think tick's last line is well you better be bloody sure because and i think then montrose is like look i can't jeopardize my son i can't do it 
But it's interesting. I ha- yeah. I think I think that is probably the right conclusion. As we all know, you go back in time, you change anything, step on a butterfly, and butterfly you'll change effect. the future. So don't don't be stopping people who died because you know what might have happened is if Thomas had been saved, then maybe Montrose would have been more grateful that he was still in his life and not sort of hidden his homosexuality and there you go it's just from that immediately no no tick exactly and you yeah it's, it's it's you can't i'm glad they didn't go with the direction of changing history because that would have been that would have been very frustrating and, and and very convoluted um so we have an extremely emotional set of scenes um as we see thomas get shot in front of montrose as a child and uh, an adult montrose watching on at the same time, Letty is also given the book by Dora's uh, Nana uh, and quite bravely um, accepts that she and all her family must die that night to allow the future to happen the way it's supposed to be. Um, and then I thought, like, I don't know about you, but the the sort of, I don't know, the the, the stuff that was being said in the background here, the soundtrack as it were uh and the um visceral and horrifying imagery of um her literally burning whilst uh letty holds her hand of course she's invulnerable to the flames i thought this was this was hard to watch i felt and it was um very this intercut with um the you know george and, and dora turning up to save um montrose from this group was uh powerful stuff and uh as you said a more personal tale of the tulsa massacre that that watchman didn't get the chance to give us really it gave us more of a sort of overview i've got to say though um for her to come in be ready to shoot letty and Mm. you know she's ready to rock like she she's well up for surviving this this massacre um and (laughs) For a lady to say, "I'm from the future," and yeah. um, I'm your your like great grandson's girlfriend, whatever, and for her to then be like, "All right, well, I'll just I'll burn myself alive in these flames." That's mental. I mean, I get the whole faith thing, um, and you know, that's I suppose that's what they're going down the route of. But I'm not sure how this woman was convinced of that um, well personally. I, I think we need to i think we need to sort of imagine a bit more about these characters that we don't know that much about but what we do know is that this family line has inherited the book of names since the 17th century now we also know that some of them actually practice some sort of magic um we know that this family line knows or at least this character does knows that uh, magic is possible natural philosophy in the book or whatever whatever you want to call it um obviously yes time travel was a bit of a leap like i i understand that that is a is a thing but she does give some evidence like oh the birthmark and you know this happens and this happens and you know like you said it's a question of faith and this family's faith is unshakable so they do the honorable thing and and don't change history so that so that she can survive also she sees letty not burning at all so you know she's completely validated in her you know sense that something else is is going on here um but it was just it was just i just thought it was 
insanely powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if uh, if she was like, "Can you stay and pray with me?" I'd be like, oh, "God, I." Seeing somebody burning alive in front of me is not top of the list of things to do today. That's traumatizing stuff. Yeah, um, we'll talk about this now. Yeah, we'll talk about this now because it's, uh, it's a good time to mention it. Uh, so the, the the dialogue underneath is this poem, Gareth, which I'm going to play for everyone now. It's called Catch the Fire. Yeah, and it's by uh, Sonia Sanchez in, ni- uh, in 1994. She wrote this. Okay, so I'll just insert that right here. Sometimes I wonder what to say to you now in the soft afternoon air as you hold us all in a single death. I say, where is your fire? I say, where is your fire? You got to find it and pass it on. You got to find it and pass it on from you to me, from me to her, from her to him, from the son to the father, from the brother to the sister, from the daughter to the mother, from the mother to the child. I say, where is your fire? Can't you smell it coming out of our past? The fire of living, not dying. The fire of loving, not killing. The fire of blackness, not gangster shadows. Where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world? The fire of pyramids. The fire that burned through the holes of slave ships and made us breathe. The fire that made guts into chitlins. The fire that took rhythm and made jazz. The fire of sit-ins and marches that made us jump boundaries and barriers. The fire that took street talk and sounds and made righteous in Hope Tech raps. I say, where is your fire? The torch of life, full of Nzinga and Nat Turner and Garvey and Harriet Tubman and Ella Baker and Dorothy Height and Rosa Parks and Harry Belafonte and Chavez and Du Bois and Fannie Lou Hamer and Martin and Malcolm and Mandela. Sister, sister, brother, brother, come, come, catch your fire. Don't kill. Hold your fire. Don't kill. Learn your fire. Don't kill. Be the fire. Don't kill. Catch the fire and burn with eyes that see our souls walking, singing, building, laughing, learning, loving, teaching, being. Hey, 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 young brother, brother. Hey, hey, young sister, sister. Here is my hand. Catch, 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 catch the fire and Live, 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 live. So this poem's used throughout the sort of end scene. And it's first of all in the spoken word form. And then there's this sort of new arrangement of the poem, which is like this grander musical sort of singing arrangement of the poem. And it's, 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 it's very powerful stuff. And we've talked about how they've used sort of spoken word situations uh, throughout the season. And for the most part, we, we've been pretty positive about the way they've been used. Um, it's very mixed reception actually out there in terms of when these scenes are, are used this way. Um, I've read so many different reviews where they're like, they don't like the use of music and spoken word. And then I've read so many that say it's it's really enhanced their viewing of the scene. For me, this one is absolutely 100% on the money in terms of getting the most out of the scene. The poem's called Catch the Fire, uh, as you just heard. It's it's a poem that's extremely important to activists today. Uh, Sonia Sanchez was involved in like the civil rights movement in the in the 60s. Um but like this this poem 
is there to inspire activism, saying catch the fire, notice the injustices around you, see the injustice around you, um, which is essentially what Letty is seeing right in front of her face right now. And the audience is seeing as they're seeing the Tulsa massacre around them. So for me, like just listening to the words of this poem, um, the way it's delivered through spoken word and song throughout the whole sort of last 10 minutes of this episode blew me away. I mean, what did you, what do you think about it? Yeah, I thought it worked. I think um, like overall the, the reception of these uh, kind of spoken, spoken word um, poems or, or just speeches sometimes, I think, I think some of them have worked really, really well and others have been less successful. I, I would say, you know, Whitey's on the Moon was maybe a bit of a miss for me personally. We've got, we've got some feedback on that later. We've got some feedback on that later, oh, yeah. so we can talk about that again. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. We can um, talk about that later. But uh, but yeah, this this one was 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 really cool. Um, and yeah, ca- catching the fire. Um, you know, that's I, obviously there's a very literal um, relationship there, but but I, I love that. Like um, you know that. I, I guess part of it is now that the, the the likes of Letty have gone back to the twenties and seen this massive injustice here. Hopefully, they're even more um, sort of they catch the fire. They're even more kind of ready to to battle for what's right in their time. Um, you know, obviously they have been experiencing some incredible injustices themselves, but. Um, perhaps the being there and seeing the, the the massacre will inspire them further and ensure that they continue to carry the fire so to speak yeah exactly exactly and I'll, I'll get back to Montrose in a minute but before we do I want to talk about the fact that um, there's this time paradox right where Tick is actually the one that saves his father George and uh, his fathers I've written fathers here George and Montrose <laughs> two dads uh, and yeah and his mother Dora by fighting off the mob with a baseball bat and saying I got you kid which is essentially the first scene of the show is we saw Jackie Robinson killing Cthulhu and saying I got you kid uh, and that is essentially the moment that also you know once again sort of back to the future sort of vibe where someone steps in and actually affected the past from the future you know, uh, I loved it. Yeah. I love that. This is the this is the confusing part. Is that um, evidently in the in the already existing timeline, yeah. Atticus was the one who did that, right? So him stepping up there isn't changing anything about the past because him doing no, that is what exactly. happened in the past. However, exactly. however, there was no reason for him to be there unless it was to get the book. And if they had already done that. Exactly. Then the book would have been missing from this point forwards, and the book was missing from this point forwards. That makes sense. It's it's a it's a time paradox that works. It's it one does of those work. loops that it's it's a chicken. It, you know, chicken and egg. It's uh, you know these things that you can't comprehend. You know what? You know it's it's that sort of vibe to well, it. Well, because they they lost track of the book after the Tulsa massacre. Because Letty was there picking it up, <laughs> taking it. Yes, exactly. Um, Makes sense. So I, I, I actually like this uh, moment though. and the, the the visual nature of Tick saving 
um, you know, his father's and, and Dora is very good. And it was it was great. It was great to see it. He is also amazing with a baseball bat. Yeah, he I was it. like, it was so good. The choreography here, he was absolutely going to town on these guys. I mean, that is one thing that this, this show hasn't shied away from is mm. the the violent violent retribution for uh, violent for, retribution yes for racists it, it's been very satisfying yeah. i've just been watching um and i won't spoil it but i've been watching the boys season 2 and if anyone gets to the end of that mm. season if you haven't watched the boys on amazon oh my word what a show but there is a let's just say there's a cathartic uh, violent retribution on a extremely racist character there and it's um it's glorious well that is a spoiler because so, now when i watch it i'm going to be like right who's the racist character who's getting their head kicked in later <laughs> well i guess it is kind of spoiler. it's not really a spoiler. anyway just watch it it's great great show um so i've, I've written here as they return to the portal uh we see the true horror and devastation of the tulsa massacre the streets ablaze. It looks like the apocalypse. Montrose delivers a powerful monologue, essentially to the audience, I think, Gareth. I mean, I don't know what you think here, but mm. um, it, he literally reels off like places that were destroyed, uh, people that were killed, sort of miniature vignettes of horror that happened within the massacre. Um and as the bombs and flames literally surround Letty, she is getting physically bombed by planes. And we know from Watchmen and doing our research that planes did fly over and sort of bomb this place. Mm. Like, it's insane to me just to think that happened. Um, I've written here some truly incredible imagery uh, as Letty walks down the street with a book with her invulnerability and the flames, you know. Yes, but also, hurry the fuck up. There's <laughs> like I mean if somebody I think it's yeah yeah she's running yeah yeah shut out the window and say right honestly Hippolyta is seriously struggling can you just move it along a little bit her hair's turning blue for God's sake hurry up <laughs> um no I uh I think the Montrose stuff is extremely powerful like like it's it's just we had this in a previous episode right we had the um ruby and christina conversation where ruby is essentially talking to the viewer going look i want you to, i'm so fucking tired i'm fucking tired of all this i want you to feel what i feel even though i know you can never feel what i feel right uh and essentially we're getting the same sort of thing here which is a sort of meta message to the audience which is like you know this look around you this event happened this was america this is a like i said to you before a true American horror story, not a fictional short story that was made up in a novel and they've sort of riffed on it and tried to put the themes of racism within it. No, this happened. This is a true story. These people were real people and they were massacred here. And I thought that was extremely powerful with the backdrop of this sort of apocalyptic setting. And it's not an apocalyptic setting. That is Tulsa, man. That is like, it's mad. It's mad to me. I mean, obviously they've taken a bit of creative license with the damage and Letty getting bombed and stuff like that but jesus it was um it was mad it was mad man. it was it was and and again for a lot of people particularly people who didn't watch watchmen this might be their first exposure to this yes, uh, as a historical yeah. event yeah i think that's the thing we're sort of like assuming that everyone's seen watchmen i do that all the time like i you know mm. but if, if you haven't seen watchmen 
uh, and you haven't been taught this in school, then you're right. Like people might be watching this thinking, oh, this is this is fabricated or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's madness to me. Um, but, you know, what a representation of, of, of the event, a very personal one, like you said, the episode ends there as they as they get the book of names back through the portal. Hippolyta using all of her tech energy to do it or whatever. I don't know what's going on there, but <laughs> what is going on there? What is going on? She's turning into Arinthia Blue. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Um that's a good take on it. Very good take on it. Um and that's the end of the episode really. Um any thoughts on the episode, Gareth? Any any more thoughts? that you want to spew at me before we head into Cthulhu Corner? Um, I think as I was talking through the um, what I thought was a time travel paradox, but actually was mm. a time travel completion. Loop. Loop. Time loop. loop time loop. Loop completion. Um, I felt like, felt like I had maybe... Under underrated this episode, but I'm I'm gonna stick. I'm sticking with my three bloobs. There's no taking. You have it back. to stick with it. You can't. Um, you can't take it back. No, you can't but, take it back. But it had. But what I will say is, it had some excellent moments, and they were all pretty much set in Tulsa. Um, mm. That was that was yeah. a, a really strong part of this episode, and it was sort of that major kind of middle to to late section of it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you and a few reviews that I've read out there that say, look, there's some unanswered things that have just got un- been swept under the carpet. And like I said, did they need to, from a character's point of view, did they even need to go to this event? Like, you know. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but if you excuse all of that and you just look at it as like, right, what has this episode shown me? What has it done? Um, and the way it made me feel and the way it made me look at this event in a different light to the way that Watchmen had already shown it and when we've read up about it um, I felt that it was an extremely strong episode and as I said it was the most emotional I felt all season to be honest with you um, and and that's you know that, that's saying something because actually I think that this, this show's had some extremely emotional moments and some very good very good moments but I don't know this something about this episode just you know obviously I know what it is but it it was just very strong very powerful and it got to me um so five for me a great episode and i'm i'm very excited for the finale to be honest with you i'm going to be honest with you right now listeners and gareth i don't think the finale is going to be a five i mean i'm ta- i don't i don't want to say it's not going to be a five but i just don't see how you already made your mind up i yeah i just don't see how they're going to wrap this up in one episode but we'll see yeah. i have you know i'm, I'm I, I will predicting say this. a lot of exposition yeah i mean look we were a bit worried not worried about the show, but when we got to episode five, I think we were all a bit fatigued, some might say, with the main narrative of the story, because actually I felt like some of the shorter stories were delivering a bit better. But after that GR episode, and, and now they've gone into this real short story sort of format in a way, um, wow, the show's, I think the show's on an extremely strong run heading into the finale. You know, I think if you look at our scores, Barring your three this week, which makes no sense to me, but uh, barring that, they've been fours and fives. So it's um, it's, it's going to be a great finale, I think, uh, or at least a great it's a great start to it. At least you know we can't get any better than what we've got. I don't think so. Great stuff from the uh, from the show. And now let's uh, stop talking about this episode in that way. Let's 
talk about it another way. Let's head over to Cthulhu Corner with not Len this week, because Len is, as you can hear, the host. It's, uh, it's Cthulhu Corner with Gaz. was a an excellent segue into Cthulhu Corner thanks Len um I think when I'm running Cthulhu Corner we we call it Lovecraft Lounge I think that's how it works right, right? um right. Well, this is the last time you're doing it so good 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 yeah. well we'll see we'll see season we'll two stage, is I'll there stage a season two who knows um yeah uh no it definitely will be the last time I'll do it after after you hear <laughs> what I've got for you um Jesus now, couple of things a i was told very late that i was doing this b mm. i've had a very busy day <laughs> very busy day yeah um and c there's probably not a huge amount there so um yeah. i have got a couple of things for you i've got i've got one interested. From, one one of them's from real life though which uh of real life time travel um First one I'm going to tell you, you're going to hate. So I'm going to get it out of the way early. Um, Tick waiting for the stranger to come and save George Montrose and Dora. Um, And then suddenly realizing that there is no stranger coming. He is the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely reminiscent of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Where Harry is... uh, He's, he's travelled back in time and he's watching across the other side of the lake at other Harry who's being attacked by Dementors. He believed oh, he believed that it was his dad had come back to save him when in fact uh, he's standing there and he goes, hold on, my dad's not coming. Oh shit, it's me. I'm the one who has to save, save them. And he goes and saves himself and um, Sirius Black from the Dementors. So very similar vibes there. And I'm sure... That uh, Lovecraft Country is inspired partly by Harry Potter. So Definitely not. This is, that's a good reference, mate. Harry, I suppose there are wizards. That's the next wizards, reference. in a way. In a way, Gareth. Wizards. Um, and there's wizards and, and magic in <laughs> magic. the show. So I will, I will say, as I said before, the show has definitely made it magic whereas in the book it's a bit more murky about what it is and they don't like calling it magic. But hey, let's just make it all camp like Harry Potter and say magic. Fine. Well, yeah, okay. I'm just saying, you watch watch that scene or read that scene. I don't want to watch it, and you'll see exactly what I mean. It's the exact same thing. I've seen it, but yeah. So, um, enough Harry Potter for one day. The other one, next one, I'm going to tell you is is from real life. Um, So, arguably the the coolest scene um, in this episode was Tick uh, after he realizes that he is Harry Potter and has to go and save himself. Right. Um, Yeah. It's uh, when he picks up the baseball bat and goes and beats up all the racists. Excellent stuff, right? Um, imagine if there was a real-life situation where somebody took on a whole group of racists with a baseball bat. Well, okay. guess what, Len? There is a real-life situation. Um, not a not a, a black man, but a, a Jewish strongman called Joseph Greenstein, also known as the Mighty, yeah. the mighty Atom. 
because uh, he was That's cool because he was cool little name. he was quite little um but he was like super strong um it's a bit like me um and Jesus. he he uh, ended up sort of getting in a, an argument with a group of nazis um mm-hmm. or like you know uh nazi pretenders um and picked up a baseball bat and <laughs> sent 18 of them to the hospital uh, with varying degrees of of injury while he ended up with one black eye uh, and that was it so um there you go Legend. pretty cool real life story that has some similarities with that scene i like that i like um, that a lot and that's the... better than the harry potter one <laughs> the harry potter one honestly mate you're you're gonna look silly here because lots of people like harry potter and lots of people say yes it was similar um the other thing that i just wanted to touch upon this is very implicit um is just lovecraft and time travel um, yeah he does he, he did dabble in time travel um a couple of stories in particular one called the silver key um and one called uh shadow out of time now we, we've spoken about the the difficulties with time travel and how how it can lead to paradoxes and convoluted storytelling well Lovecraft didn't have that problem because all time travel in Lovecraftian fiction is time travel of the conscious being rather than yeah. rather than the physical being. So, um, yeah, that was a, a way that he was able to avoid that problem. But if you do want to read some Lovecraftian time travel, Silver Key and Shadow Out of Time. Um, and that's, that's, that's all I've got for you in the, uh, in the lounge today. I'll send it back Thanks, over to yeah, you. Not- not bad with the old uh, Atom. Yeah, the mighty Atom. sounds cool. Mighty Atom. Yeah, he sounds cool. Uh, I will say now, for anyone that's interested, because, you know, for a long time, time travel was believed to be impossible or against the laws of thermodynamics, as it were. But uh, there's been some recent articles published, I think by someone here in Australia, Gareth, which has proven that it is possible within a certain... Uh, I can't... Honestly, I'm not going to explain it to you right now. Maybe search it like recent study finds time travel technically possible. Well, um, it's interesting. And I, I read it and I didn't really understand any of it, but it sounded very fascinating to me. It's interesting so. that you say it was an Australian researcher because I think if you uh, if you go to Tasmania, you are travelling back to the 1980s. So maybe that's what you meant. Yeah, maybe that's the reason. Maybe that's yeah. the reason. No, yeah, so check that out. Um, interesting stuff. And now it's time to move on to feedback. Listener feedback. You can write to us uh, at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That's fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. The email is always in the show notes. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Let us know what you think is going to happen in the finale. Let us know uh, your thoughts on how the Tulsa Massacre was represented and if you've seen Watchmen and if you think the show did a good job. Any of that stuff, we'd love to hear from you. Letty us know. That's good, Gareth. Uh, first email is from Julia Christine and she says hey everyone first off glad to have Lucy and Emma back have missed the banter you all have together well (laughs) she'll be hating this episode yeah no I thought that was funny because you know just lockdown and things have meant that it's just me and you this week Gareth Um, but as I said we're all going to be back for the finale next week so no one panic and you won't have to listen to me as much Um, now for the feedback despite wanting to like will tina's character i'm struggling and i think now maybe that's the point 
I know in the book from what you've said on the pod that Caleb is pretty likeable as a character or overall just better than Christina. I really don't think Christina had a chance. In terms of the story, the other characters don't meet her until she's well on her quest to power slash immortality and I think it's completely corrupted her. Her obsession with making herself equal to or more than the son her father wanted has consumed her character completely. When Ruby calls out to her for not feeling anything, I think she's absolutely right, which is just further proven by the scene where she pays those men to reenact Emmett Till's murder on her. I think she felt nothing while experiencing that, and why should she? She's freaking invincible. I felt the scene was unnecessary because, as Ruby already said earlier, she can never understand what it feels like to be a black person, only trying to empathise. Maybe Christina would like to empathise, but it's hard to build a conscience from the ground up. As far as Christina's feelings towards Ruby, that's hazier. It seems that part of her wants to care, and maybe that's easier to do in the body of William. Christina, on the whole, feels like an empty character, and if her love for Ruby is in any way real, I think a fitting end for her character would be either sacrificing her quest uh, of her quest for immortality for a life with Ruby. Um, that's it. Thank you very much for writing in, writing in, Julia. That's an interesting take on, on the Will Tina character, one that I'm sort of on board with, to be honest with you. Uh, Gareth, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we're doing, we're predicting a lot of people sacrificing things, aren't we, in the next mm. episode. Mm. I just imagine it's like everybody jumping in front of the same bullet to save the person behind them. Um, but yeah, no, some good thoughts there. I think Will, Tina, like, and Christina as a whole, yes, Caleb is a more likeable, charismatic sort of character in the book. Um, he's still a dickhead. Like, don't get me wrong. He's a, And this is why I think that, that they've, they're sort of keeping the element of his selfishness and they're using that in the Christina character. He's a selfish character. He says he will always get what he wants. And for me, Christina is the same sort of thing here. Like they've they've kept that element of the character, I believe. I think it's all a long con. She's trying to achieve this goal. She's hell-bent on achieving this goal. And she will do whatever it takes to achieve this goal. She even says in this episode, like, it's been preordained that I am going to be immortal. Atticus was doomed from the moment he stepped onto Ardham. I have planned all of this. You know, it's a long game for her. She's, you know, that's why I don't trust her feelings towards Ruby. That's why I think she's a very selfish character. And in the end, she'll always act out of her own interests. So I think that email is pretty spot on, to be honest with you. Um, next up, we have an email from Kat Salomons. Uh, hello. I watched the latest episode of Lovecraft Country, Jigabobo, last night. Late last night, I'll add. Uh, thought it don't was awesome and then and then went to sleep. I'm working as a cleaner at the moment, which means waking up at 4.40am every day to go to work, uh, where I work alone. It's still dark outside, and some rooms are dark until they sense movement. Usually, that's not a problem. But now, the image of those creepy girls is seared into my brain, and I keep imagining, what if they come round that dark corner right now? Bloody hell. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, that is interestingly, so. Len, I think, I think it's confession time for you, mate. Go on. You don't what find you them scary, which is one of the most mental no. things I've ever heard. They are terrifying. Look, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. Of course, they're they're scary. I'm not saying... Now, look, I'm not scared by it. I've got a very high horror threshold, which is why this show to me, in terms of actual horror, not the sort of, you know, fact that the real horror is, the, you know, the, the racial themes and all these things. Obviously, I'm talking about the sort of monster horror and that stuff to me. Isn't that scary? You know... 
I, I, I don't scare easily. You know that. Yes. But... Certain films scare me. But they, they, I get it. They're, they're scary. People are scared by them. They didn't scare me that much. It's not a problem. That's All right. I mean, Let's get over it. You you need to see someone, mate, if you're not scared by that. Well, you know, we've all said that for a long time, so nothing's changed there. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a new... Uh, and Kat, just to say, um, you know, I hope the days start getting lighter earlier, to be honest with you, because... I think the clocks are moving forward soon. I guess they if did here. She's in America. Maybe you're getting a bit more. She's in America. Yeah. They're going Go the on. other way, mate. She's they're, they're oh going. It's getting darker and long, longer nights. Well, Kat, there's no hope. There's no hope. Just um, stay home. Don't don't go to the scary hallways. That's all I'll say. Um, next up, an email from Viva. Hi, love you guys. Thank you, Viva. Oh. And as proof that I care, <laughs> here's why you're wrong about the supposed failure of the use of Whitey on the moon. There we go. Just go you said, Gaff, no, no, slagging you is, off, Gareth. This is fine. This is fine. I said, <laughs> you know, for me it didn't work and uh, yeah. other opinions are available. I yeah, think, I think you share my available. opinion, to be honest. But Yeah. I, I think before we read this email, I will say that I I think it's worked the least out of all of them, but that's just because of the scene it was used over. But at the same time, I understand. Anyway, I'll read the email and then we'll, we'll get on to it. One day after the delivering his stirring, I've been to the mountaintop sermon, which has become famous for his vision of American society. King was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. Riots broke out in black neighborhoods in more than 110 cities across the United States in the days that followed, notably in Chicago, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. In December 1968, after more than a year of popular uprisings in more than 100 cities across the United States protesting racial injustice, and a month after the election of infamous white supremacist Richard Nixon, the US government sent a white man to the moon. Instead of addressing the still unrequited demands of the black community regarding fair wages, healthcare, safety and reparations. In 2020, as a deadly pandemic sweeps through the global population, disproportionately killing and relegating into further poverty black and indigenous people, especially in the US. Uh, my God, have you seen the numbers here? Jeff Bezos has grown his personal net worth by approximately two billion. Oh, no, sorry. Two thousand two hundred nineteen US dollars every day since the start of the pandemic. I think. I mean, it doesn't sound like that much, but I think. No, no, no. But, it, but say, if you were going to say two billion dollars every day, I was like, you're right. You might I think it. that is. No, I, th- I, I know. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just contextualizing here outside of the email. I know for a fact I read an article that Jeff Bezos has made two thousand nine hundred nine, no, two hundred ninety nine billion dollars since the pandemic started. Right. Okay. He's made three hundred billion dollars. That's what I heard. So I think that's what um, Viva's saying here. Because uh, he's profiting off the pandemic. This is back to the email. What does old Jeffy giggle about when interviewed about his lofty dreams? The fucker wants to colonise space and make celestial resorts for mind-numbingly rich white people. <laughs> it's, it's true, he does want to do that. Uh, in 1955, at the beginning of the American Civil Rights Movement, a time when police officers are on call and available to kill negroes on site for daring to patronize a cafe a group of wealthy white men want to sacrifice a black man's body so they can enter eden and close the portal behind them so no undesirable woman negro or poor person may follow i personally had never made the connection between the moon landing and the civil rights uprising of 1960s until i heard that audio over this pretentious white wizard ceremony in u.s schools the two subjects are not taught together because Obviously, they have nothing to do with each other in any way. 
just unbelievably separate historical things that couldn't be less related. XOXO Viva. Now, Gareth, what your take on that? Because I, I know we have talked about um, before and we did say about how, like, is this, I, like Viva's mentioned here, I think we did mention it briefly in that episode a while ago. I think it was episode two. I think we mentioned how there's this disparity between poverty in a lot of you know parts of America and yet how the funding was all put towards the space race and getting to the moon before the USSR. And it was talking about that disparity. After hearing Viva's take on it, are you more swayed to the use of the of the track there? Um, no, because I, I think Viva's expressed it beautifully and uh, and and done a much better job of explaining you know what its purpose is there than we probably did. But I I th- I think um, I think we had heard that before i know i know i'd i'd heard it before um and <clears throat> i think we sort of made that connection at the time we under, we understood the purpose of it i'm talking i'm talking from a purely audible uh like technical perspective that one didn't work particularly well for me um just based on what was happening i, I totally get why those those words in that moment are uh are really clever and 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 why that works at that at that kind of literal level um but from a technical perspective that's that's all i'm saying that's the reason that one didn't particularly work for me yeah i think and i think for me and i completely respect what you said there viva and agree with you wholeheartedly i i i get that that's what they were going for now and like it makes sense i think it happened so early on in the season that it stands out more because now it's become this thing that they do every week and we've kind of got used to it more, if you get what I mean. So I think that might have hindered it slightly. Maybe now if we watch that scene out of sequence, obviously, it might work a lot better. And then I will say, just from a book perspective, um, I was really looking forward to seeing that ceremony because (laughs) it's a bit like weird. And um, to not see it the way I imagined it, you know what I mean? with with the sort of music that I had in my head. I don't know, it just jarred with me at the time. But obviously your arguments put it into a lot more context for me. Um, and I appreciate you sending that in and and, and agree with you on, on a lot of those points. So thank you for that, Viva. Yeah, agreed. Um, agreed. And that's, and that's it uh, for feedback this week. You can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts ahead of the finale. Uh, as soon as the finale's aired, write in. Um, you know try and get your thoughts in quickly because we record quite soon after maybe like i don't know six seven hours after sometimes the episode airs um so please do get your thoughts in quick if you want to have thoughts for the finale uh, emma will be back next week yeah and uh, yay and so will lucy and yay. i just want to thank gaz gaz for being with me today you're welcome mate well hosted good fun good discussion great episodes and so far a great great season of television let's hope they can finish it in a very satisfying uh, fashion. And on that note, I'll say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.